every individual is sovereign for their own actions. The evidence is overwhelming. It is overwhelming that the 2020 election was stolen. The truth is on our side. I didn't do anything for Trump. I did it for old glory. They can mandate all they want, but they can't mandate compliance. Remember their mandates, they're not God dates. Right. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We're absolutely in a spiritual war right now, but but we're seeing this throughout every bit of our lives. All I want to do right now is get Americans to stop doing nothing and do something. All we need to do is turn back to God and just say, God is all we need. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sovereign Souls. We were all born for this. We come together with a common goal of seeking truth and justice, restoring our God-given sovereignty, and achieving eternal life. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Sovereign Souls. Today's show features a J6er, but he's going to be telling us a different story than his J6 story, which he's already shared on Justice and Jeopardy. And this episode is going to be focused on some medical tyranny that he went through. And this is a, as he describes it, a very sinister feeling experience he had. And he fortunately had some really good legal strategies and knew a lot about uh, how the healthcare system works and was able to get himself out of a very dangerous situation. So you might want to take some notes uh, just to make sure that if you ever get in a situation like this or a family member does, that you'll know what to do. And if you want to find some good, safe, trusted doctors, be sure to visit my affiliate at the wellness company. And that is at twc.health slash souls. So here we go. We're going to be talking to Brian Smith today. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Uh, thanks for having me back, Mel. It's my pleasure. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And I yeah. just, uh, you know, this story was so fascinating. And I, I really wanted to get it out there to the public. And um, so why don't you start with a, with a little background? I was in the Army for nine and a half years of worked for the army for another 11, uh, almost uh, right at 11 uh, before I was let go um, as a government civilian um, uh, due to the J6 charges and the FBI indictment. Um, when I was in the army, um, you know, I flew Blackhawks and uh, was uh, one of the units that I was in, I was in a medevac unit. Um, and part of that training, um, because of the job, I, they sent me through EMT school and then I continued on, uh, through paramedic school. So, um, uh, my, a lot of my family members are in healthcare. My, my mother is an orthopedist. Um, she was a CNO for a major healthcare system in upstate New York, the vice president of the hospital, um, of a rehabilitation hospital up there just up until recently, she, she resigned her position, um, due to the pressures from. COVID and stuff. So she took a different job, but, um, you know, kind of my entire life, I grew up in the hospitals, um, uh, you know, with my mom, uh, being in the position that she was in and all of, you know, her friends were doctors. So they were always over. So, um, you know, my, my first, uh, when I, when I was going to school, my first degree was in human biology. I thought that was the course that I was taking, um, till I joined the army. I got in some trouble as a kid and, uh, uh, it was one of those uh, go to go to the army or go to jail sort of things, you know what I mean? And uh, that that kind of set my the trajectory of uh, my professional life down a different path. But um, but I did I did uh, did work in that kind of uh, 
in that realm essentially for 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 the years that I was uh, doing medevac in the army. So that's just a little bit of background. You know, I'm not completely ignorant to the processes in the hospital and the healthcare system and how that and how that stuff works um, just entirely. But uh, back in, uh, I guess this would have been 2021, right? So the election was in 2022 for, for the midterms. Uh, I was invited to, I'm in, I'm in District 3 in Alabama, in Huntsville, Alabama. That's where I live. And uh, our congressman here for District 3 is uh, Mo Brooks. And at the time, he, was, uh, he had announced that he was uh, starting a bid for the Senate in 2022. Um, I had been involved with this campaign um, previously for Congress and, you know, put signs on my front lawn or, or whatever else, just little things. But I was invited to come to his, uh, he's having a, an announcement, I like guess, ceremony, if you will, or, a, you know, a rally. And um, President Trump uh, was flying in uh, for his, you know, for this rally. Um, so, I only only say that because I believe this is when I got sick. So uh, I had to go down to Coleman uh, with my wife because we were going to attend this rally inside the, I don't know, VIP tent or the tent where the politicians and family members and, and President Trump was going to be. So we had to be cleared by the Secret Service. So, you know, they took our information down uh, and then we came down there just for a, a quick interview. And then uh, we were going to be cleared for the next day to go to the the campaign event. Uh, well, after we drove down to Coleman to meet with the, you know, to, to get cleared for the campaign event, um, I got really sick. I mean, more sick than I've ever been in my entire life. So, I mean, we're talking about in a 24 hour period, I went from being fine, like I am right now, to uh, I think when my wife, because I, I was telling my wife I, I wasn't going to go to the hospital, um, but at some point I had uh, I had passed out and had a seizure, um, and when I got to the hospital, I had 105 point something fever, 105 and some change, and wow. uh, my O2, really yeah, my, I and it's super high for me, like. I don't ever remember the, you know, flus, whatever sicknesses I had ever having a, a temperature that, that broke the one Oh ones, you know, one Oh one, one hundred and one point anything. I was really, really sick. Um, so to see a hundred, you know, I didn't see it, but, and my O2 levels was my oxygen saturation, uh, was uh, in the fifties. I think they, they said like 53. Um, so like my body was shutting down, you know what I mean? Like I, I would have died on the floor there. Um, if she wouldn't have brought me because my lungs just were completely filled up with uh, water, like instantly wow. within, wow. within that day. So luckily she, she called my mom and she's on FaceTime with her. And she said, no, you need to, you need to, <laughs> you need to get him in the vehicle. Uh, I remember, you know, obviously I had to help my wife get me to the van um, somehow. Uh, but I don't remember any of that. I don't remember driving to the hospital um, somewhere along the way. I woke up in the emergency room, uh, like with a bunch of people around me kind of, kind of came to, they were like sticking me with an IV or whatever. And I was coherent for the rest of that. But, um, that was just really, really weird. It's not indicative of, of any COVID symptoms that or traditional upper respiratory, anything. Um, so, uh, that was kind of the first thing, uh, that happened. 
and I've, I've got theories on, on how I, I think that happened or whatever. I, I don't believe it was, uh, you know, somebody was sick that was around me or I touched something that had a virus on it and I got that sick that fast. Um, but irregardless, they, they kind of, they, they went ahead and said that I had COVID, uh, nonetheless, you know, I don't, oh, of course they did. They, they, yeah. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't let them, I wouldn't let them stick their, their little stick up my nose. And, uh, um, so I don't know, you know, they said they had other means of, of determining it via like what the x-rays look like in my lungs when they, when they, when they did x-rays for the pneumonia, I guess, uh, COVID sparkles. Uh, is what I was told. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I'm not a radiologist, nor I've seen the images of it, but uh, that's what they told me. So they diagnosed me with COVID nonetheless. Um, and when anybody asked me, I said I had double because that's exactly what I had. I mean, my you had double pneumonia? Included. Yeah, almost 100%. I was at like 98. I had about 2% lung, lung function um, when, I, when I got admitted to the ICU. So like I was without supplemental oxygen, you know what I mean? I couldn't, you know I mean? I, I wouldn't be able to get enough oxygen to, to, you know, stay conscious or whatever. So, um, this started about a 15 day process in this, uh, in the ICU here in, uh, right outside Huntsville, actually live in the next city over or whatever. And they have a, they have a hospital that's affiliated with the Huntsville hospital that I was admitted to. Um, and so for 15 days, uh, 15 days after the day that I got admitted, I was, I was in there and, um, being treated for this double pneumonia and trying to get them to tell me like where my, you know, where I was stable enough that, you know, I wanted to get out of there as soon as I possibly could. Right. I wanted to go home. I, you know, I, because I was in COVID unit, you know I mean? I couldn't have my kids come see me. Um, I got, you know, the rules in there was, uh, one visitor a day for one hour. Um, in the coat, this is, you know, this is back in, you know, the summertime of, of 2021. So, um, you know, COVID was right, you know, all the, all the mandates and kind of procedures were as, as they, they had ever gotten, I think at that time. Uh, but, you know, so my kids were obviously worried about me and, and I couldn't, you know, my wife could only come for an hour. However, they did, when my mother flew in from New York, they did allow her access to me just because of uh her credentials the you know it's kind of like professional courtesy i guess you know that they extended to her because of their position um at the hospital in new york um yes. but uh so, so she would come for a few you know for a few hours every day but um yeah it was it was a pretty pretty horrific process um how long how long were you in there in the in the icu uh, 15 days. Uh, I ended up AMA myself out. AMA is again, medical advice. Um, so eventually I was able to get the things that I needed to survive, uh, outside of the hospital. But, um, the process to get there was, um, was pretty eye opening, I guess, for me. Um, and it was, uh, it was something I, I wish not to experience again, but, um, yeah, I'd love to share that with the, you and your viewers. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, please continue because the story only gets uh, more interesting. Once I got out of the emergency room and I was admitted into the ICU, um, you know, I, the second I got to see like a like the doctor that they had assigned to me in the ICU, you know, my first question is, all right, doc, what do we got to do to get me out of here? You know what I mean? Like, where where are the levels? You know, what are you looking for in my blood work? 
what are you looking for, you know, test wise, where I can get, you know, where you'll discharge me and I can, I can do the rest of this at home. Right. Um, so they gave me some parameters. They gave me a, a D dimer level. A D dimer is a, it's a, it's a marker of inflammation, um, essentially. Uh, and so these, these apparently were very elevated. Um, and they wanted me to be on a specific amount of pressure, um, like O2 level. So like the, when, when you have pneumonia like that, it's, 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 it's a long road to recovery. Even after you get out of the hospital, you're going to be on supplemental oxygen for, for a while when, when, when you have your lungs occluded like that. So the machines that they, that you're able to get, um, from, you know, these medical device companies, like they max out at a certain point, like they can only go to so much pressure. So they needed me to get down to that pressure. Now I don't want to toss a number out there because I don't remember exactly what that was. I want to say it was like 15 or something or, or CFM, but regardless, whatever that level was, it was, it was, uh, it would have been straight wall oxygen. It wouldn't have been any sort of supplemental machine, like a, like a high pressure or a BiPAP or a ventilator or anything like that. It would have been like the oxygen that comes out of the wall and it was at a certain level. So, you know, my goal was, you know, not much I can do about the inflammation levels, you know what I mean? Other than, you know, kind of relax and, you know, keep my cortisol down, but um, the oxygen stuff, like I'm, you know, like that was my goal to get my, you know, get myself to where, you know, I was staying still enough and relaxed enough where I didn't have to, you know, cause breathing, you know, just, just talking like we are right now would have me extremely out of breath, um, you know, talking consistently like this and using up that oxygen would bring down my O2 levels. So if I got upset or whatever, or just like my blood pressure went up because I was getting up, even if I wasn't yelling or something like that causes your heart to pump faster and it causes you, you know, utilize more oxygen and bring it down. So, um, you know, that was, that was my goal. Um, and immediately I, I realized that like something, something was off. Um, you know, we got plenty, we've, we've had plenty of problems with our healthcare system, um, for a long time. And, and I don't, I don't know that there's too many people that were more aware of that than, than I, and, and the people that have worked in the healthcare system or, you know, had family members that did, but, um, this was something different. You know, this was, it was, it was almost like sinister, like, like, like what was going on? Like, like you just got that feeling that like something is not right. Like, like, you know, like the things that they were doing, um, the things that they were trying to give me, um, the comments that were being made, it defied, logic. And I mean, it, it, you didn't have to be a doctor or a nurse or a paramedic or, or anybody. I mean, these are, these would just be basic, you know. So as we've heard a lot about, these seem to be non-standard protocols that mm -hmm. were being forced to be followed uh, by medical staff that, that just, just seemed illogical and, and, uh, and, and not something that would mm -hmm. fall under you know, the Hippocratic Oath or you know, harm, right? anything along those lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I did accuse the, one of the doctors of violating their Hippocratic Oath. And the, that was, that didn't go over well. She was quite upset. <laughs> Excuse me. She, but uh, so yeah. Yeah, the type of things I'm talking about is um, like, I mean, so for instance, you know, 
from the time I got him into ICU, they started giving me uh, medication, you know, regularly. So they bring it, you know, the nurse would come in with this up of, uh, you know, pills, you know, it was a you know, little Dixie cup or whatever, but there was a ton of stuff in there and I'm sitting got a double pneumonia. Like what is, what is all this stuff? You know, I mean, I, I would understand a little bit of uh, some steroids, maybe, um, uh, you know, like some cortical steroids and, um, you know, you know, something to, you know, maybe lower my blood pressure a little bit if it, if it was elevated, but that I'm like, what, what is in here? And, and when they would go through it, I mean, they had everything from, um, anti-anxiety depression medicine. So I'm talking about like Valium and Zoloft and, and, and things of that nature, um, to pain medicine. They had hydrocodone in there. You know what I mean? I wasn't claiming that I was in any pain. And wow. So it's, it know, sounds like they were, they were giving you things that would, um, affect your, your judgment and your ability to, to think straight that, that, and, and then they could sure. blame it on that. Uh, well, so that's, I never even looked at it from that aspect, but also like hydrocodone, hydrocodone causes you to retain water. You know what I mean? I'm full of water in my lungs. Right. So like, actually some of these would, not only did I not need pain medicine cause I wasn't in pain, I just couldn't breathe. Uh, it also would have worked against what was going on, which my major issue was that my lungs were filled with water, right? So some of these things were actually going to make my condition worse, but also it, it will alter your, your state of mind and could give them um, the legal justification if they, if they so chose, if you were being uh, non-compliant to deem you not competent to make your own medical decisions or stuff. So in a situation, you can see how that could escalate, right? I know it has in other instances, you've got no family members there, right? To make decisions on your behalf because you're not allowed to have visitors and something like that happens where, you know, a lot of people, they would never think the question, the nurse, you know, the doctor prescribed whatever it was during the ICU, they're very sick. They just take the cup of medicine and take it. Were you aware at this time yet that people were, were being basically killed in the nursing homes and in the hospitals with the vent and with the protocols that they were using, um, the remdesivir and all of that, or, or was this just way too early on? No, it wasn't. I mean, as you know, I've been, uh, associated with and, and plugged into the, the reawaken America tour. Um, and so my first one in Tampa was before I got sick. Um, the second one in Dallas, uh, that I did was right after I got out. So after I got out and was able to travel, um, which would have been, uh, I think that one was in December, like right in the beginning of December. Um, so it would have just been a few months out of the hospital uh, when, when I did the second one. But um, the people that were there, so America's frontline doctors, um, Simone Gold and uh, Stella Emanuel and, and, and a lot of the names that, that, that people, uh, Zelinsky, um, you know, Lord, God rest his soul. Did you get sick after Dallas? No, before, but far oh, after Tampa. Dallas. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So between Tampa and Dallas, I, I mean, there was probably about four or five might even be more than that. I have to go back and look, but like, it was quite a bit of time, but it was only a couple months after I got sick from when I did that, did the, uh, so the, the first conference, I didn't speak, uh, on J six related issues or, or COVID related issues. I was speaking on, uh, the military, um, tactics, um, uh, type of like military language and, and military planning and strategy type stuff. 
Um, that was that was the, that was my first talk. That was my that was my area of expertise. Dallas was COVID um, because I was so upset about what had happened in there um, to me and the process of me getting out of there and the tyranny that I experienced. And then uh, you know Nashville uh, when me me and you were, were there, um, the plan was to discuss J six related matters because um, I had I had been thrown into that pool as well from from being in DC and so the, you know, the FBI and the indictment and the, you know, the, the arrest and all that other stuff. So um, it's actually, that's three, three tours. I didn't actually speak in, in Nashville just because of the timing of the arrest and the event or whatever. Um, I pulled out of it and then I found out I was going to, I got released and I was going to be able to go and just, it didn't work out, but it was so great to, uh, I mean, I did interviews, uh, I did one with you down there and, and it wasn't, it was, it was a great, uh, conference, but I didn't, I didn't speak on the main stage uh, in Nashville, but every single one of them has actually been something different, you know what I mean? And I just happened to, I just happened to fall into those categories and have insight that, uh, you know, I felt would benefit, you know, the listeners and the American people as a whole to just kind of hear what, you know, an average guy from, from, from Alabama was going through. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're, you're a, uh, you're a well-rounded um, conspiracy realist, you know? Yeah. When it yeah, comes down to it, yeah. Sometimes when you live through them, it, be, it becomes a little bit more real. It takes it out of the the realm of of theory and and into into reality. So, yeah. yeah so the the medic, you know, the Medicaid. So I was aware of the you know the ex, the issues with the uh, uh, or the potential issues with the vaccination um, with the testing stuff that was going on. Um, I was plugged into a lot of Telegram channels that went through the medical stuff with. HCL, uh, which is hydrochloroquine or chloroquine, um, ivermectin and some other anti-parasitical, you know, treatments or whatever. And then uh, I knew about remdesivir far before leaving COVID. I remember hearing about remdesivir um, because of the nature of my job. I, I did, a, I had some programs that I did for the army in Africa. And uh, so I, I'm, you know, that's probably about the most heart-wrenching thing I've ever seen in my life is, is what some of those um, places in like Uganda and Kenya and the Congo, like the, what those people have been subjected to through, you know, some of our charitable organizations like UNICEF and uh, the Melinda, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and, and other, uh, you know, just helping, helping those people out, giving them some free stuff. But uh, um, yeah, so I, I, I was... I was definitely aware of what was going on here in America with the, with certain things regarding it. Um, and that's, that, that was one of the reasons why I, I, I refused to let them give me a test there. I said, you know, listen, you're going to put me in that unit either way, whether regardless of what the test says. So just, you know what I mean? Like, let's, let's like, I'm not, I'm not authorizing that. Um, unfortunately, like they, it came to a point where um, like I, I, I mean, I, I, I felt, or I know, um, but it was done kind of in a, you know, in a, a in a manner where, where one would have plausible deniability, but uh, at a certain point, um, because I was, I was, I was, I was getting upset, right? Because I was not getting any answers and uh, people were kind of manipulating uh, these numbers for like my, like what I was on for oxygen or, 
whatever else they would, you know, they would take my reading after they came in there and I requested some stuff and, you know what I mean? I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting answers or I wasn't, you know what I mean? I was, and, and so like I would, I would get irritated and I'd be talking a lot or, you know, speaking loudly and then my O2 would drop and oh, well, see, you know what I mean? You're, you know, you're not going to get it. And they, that's when they would document my, wow. my levels yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's uh, total it, manipulation. Mm-hmm. It, it was, and, and it was just, and it was done intentionally just kind of like to, to, you know, to, to get me riled up because I was, you know, I, I went, I was like, I'm not taking any of that stuff. Like I'll take, I'll take the anti-inflammatories. I'll take the steroid, but I'm not taking, I'm not taking, I'm not taking any of that other stuff. I don't need it. It's not, it's not a benefit to me at all. Yeah. Um, and then I also was refusing to take remdesivir and that's, that's, that's when things really kind of escalated. Like you, you don't want to take the, the remdesivir. So, um, the way if, for people that aren't aware, um, during COVID, or at least during this time during COVID, I'm not hundred percent sure what's going on now. And this is obviously only in, you know, the area that I was in, in Alabama, in our, in our hospital here, but from, talking to people at these conferences and on telegram and, and, and other medical rooms, like it, it seems pretty close to what was going on just about nationwide. Um, so in these ICUs, uh, they kind of made this Trinity of, of decision-making around people that were there for COVID. Um, so you had, uh, you know, your normal general practitioner, whoever was on rotation for the hospital for that week or day. And then, uh, but what they added was they added another doctor um, that was from internal medicine and they had another one that was from infectious disease, right? So between the three of these, that kind of made like, you know, whenever decisions were made on what was going to happen with a patient that was in there that was diagnosed with COVID, um, any requests, you know, if you requested to to be discharged or you requested a type of medicine or you requested any of that stuff, a treatment. So like at one point I requested, um, uh, nebulized budesonide, right? I didn't want, I didn't want that. Um, and I had talked with, uh, some of the people at America's frontline doctors and, and they said, sent me some stuff on budesonide. And so I requested it. <laughs> My, I got one treatment, uh, of it because the, it was right between, uh, them changing out my general practitioner. Um, so the, the first guy that was there, he was an older gentleman. He, he kind of just was defeated. He was, he was empathetic to my situation. Um, I made the request. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll write the prescription for you. Uh, if you think if that's what you want, and he's like, um, you know, it's not going to hurt you. And he did it. The, the one treatment was given and then the, the other to the internal medicine and then pictures the disease doctor found out. And they said that, uh, you know, these rooms were not designed to have nebulized any medicine in there because of the, you know, because I had COVID and yeah. So these weren't, these weren't negative pressure, you know, certified rooms or whatever. I was like, well, I'll go in the bathroom and do it. You know what I mean? Because that's got a door. I had my own room in there. I was like, I'll go in the bathroom and I'll receive the treatment with the door closed in the bathroom. Um, and they still wouldn't, so they wouldn't give me any more. They gave me like an inhaler thing, but, um, that was, you know, the active ingredient, but it's not the same and it doesn't, it doesn't treat pneumonia the same way. Um, so, um, either, either way, uh, but right after that, they removed him and they replaced him with this Indian woman uh, who became my general practitioner and she was there until I AMA'd myself out. But, uh, when I, when I refused the remdesivir, um, and I was also refusing the other medications that they were trying to give me. Uh, the internal medicine doctor came in um, and 
he was, you know, it was right after like me getting into an argument with the, uh, with the respiratory specialist that was writing down what my oxygen levels was because they had me on a high flow machine, but they had like, I mean, must, I might be exaggerating, but it was, it was several of them connected, you know, like I, I explained, like I had like a hundred foot of, you know, nasal cannula uh, tubing that's coming from the machine because like, uh, you know, so I could make it to the bathroom and like, you know, I, I just wouldn't want to be in the bed anymore and I was getting restless. So like I would, I would kind of like shuffle myself over to the chair by the window just so I could look out the window or whatever so I could get out of the bed. And uh, so I got like a hundred foot of this tubing on and then they've got this mask on, which I call a vent mask. And it's like, uh, it's supposed to be to, you know, to slowly wean you off the, the thing, but the, they had the plugs of these things completely out. Now these things are supposed to have like a little flapper in there. So it kind of lessens uh, the pressure at the mask or whatever. So you can wean yourself down and off of it. But, but these ones were missing out of this. So I got two gaping holes in the side of this mask that they had me on. And uh, they keep trying to give me a nasal cannula and uh, I'm Italian and I'm from New York originally. I have a giant nostril, like these nasal cannulas, like you might, I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like whistling, you know, through a tunnel or whatever. Like there's no, like, it's just going everywhere. Like, these are just like little tiny tubes or whatever. So the, that's the mask that they gave me because like the nasal cannula just doesn't work for me unless it's like, you know, got an adapter on it or something. And uh, so they're, they're, they're writing the pressure down this on this machine. I'm like, that's clearly not the pressure that I'm at. I'm clearly way below that. Like, you know, we've got, you know, a hundred, a hundred foot of tubing here. We got like 10 of these connected together and I got these big giant holes in my mask. I mean, this is the, you know, you don't have to be a respiratory specialist. I mean, this is basically, you know, it could tell you that that's not the pressure. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 this is not the first story I've heard. Um, I, I did an interview way back with uh, somebody who who is local to me, and and they killed her husband, and and this guy was thirty six years old, and and she had to watch them kill him, and and she basically yeah. fought her way into that ICU room, and she was afraid to leave because she knew yeah. that she probably wouldn't get back in. And, and they, so she, she like lived on the floor and this woman has all sorts of health problems herself. And um, I, I mean, it's, it's such a long, tragic story, but there was an issue with the mask constantly yeah. with her husband. They were putting the wrong size mask on him and it was causing all sorts of problems, uh, rashes, um, sores on his face and, so, you know, I don't know if there was a, a shortage of correct masks in these situations or if this was, you know, intentional. I, I felt at the time that they were intentionally trying to move me up to a BiPAP. And the only place you go from, so I was already on the high flow machine from a BiPAP. The only other place you go is event. There's no other steps, right? They were trying, trying to escalate to get me you on a BiPAP. So that's why they kept trying to push the nasal cannula. They knew that when I had, like, I couldn't do a nasal cannula because I wasn't getting enough oxygen with the high flow machine, right? So they put me on a nasal cannula, then they got to put me up to a BiPAP. BiPAP doesn't come with, with that. Or if it does, it is like the one with like the CPAP that like straps around, you know what I mean? It's got like the big, you know, the rubber silicone tips or whatever. Uh, but uh, that, you know, that's why I said, no, I did I need a, I need a mask. I don't care. You know, you, you do the pressures you want, but like, I need a mask. So that's the one that they brought me. 
and I felt like it was kind of like a slight because they were trying to put me on the the nasal cannula and and it just did those they don't they don't they weren't going to work for me in the condition that I was in if I was just in a regular they were just giving me supplemental oxygen to make me comfortable or something I was there for something else but with the condition of my lungs I needed the oxygen but what I was so irritated about with the with them and recording the pressures is is that like I said at the beginning there was pretty much two determined to get out of there and one of them was bringing my O2 pressure levels down so I've got I feel like they're trying to pump them up and I got a respiratory specialist that's I mean I mean, this, the, it's, it literally wasn't debatable. I mean, it was, that's not what I have at my mask period um, yeah. or what I'm receiving. Um, and, and so that was the situation, but um, that was, that, that was, uh, that was the first thing, but I don't remember how I got there to, to that story about the, about the pressures and the mask, but either, either way, um, I think I was, I was telling you about what happened with the infectious disease, the doctor, doctor. Um, I was refusing to take the, the remdesivir and some other medicines, the painkillers and, and depression medicine. And uh, he, he came in and, and after I got into that argument, that's what it was. After I got in that argument with the respiratory specialist about what my actual pressure was. Um, and uh, he came in, he's like, you know, you're, you're seem a little bit uh, irritable and aggressive. Um, you know, the, the stat, the nurses are, are, are having a hard time dealing with you. You're refusing the treatments and, uh, you know, you know, if, if, if this continues, uh, you know, you could be sedated uh, to calm you down because it's not good for you to be worked up like this. If that were to happen, um, you know, you wouldn't, you would no longer be able to make, you know, your own medical decisions at that time. And you're, you know, and you're you, thinking, and you're I'm, thinking sitting there, I'm, I'm sitting there like able to make my own right now, you know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause he, well, I mean, basically what he, you know, like what he was saying is I wouldn't be uh, you know, I wouldn't have the mental state to be able to, to do it. So like they were going to sedate me, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, put, sedate me so much that I go to sleep and then uh, I don't have anybody there to advocate for me. Uh, Cause I only get one hour a day, you know, if my mom wasn't in there. And um, even if my mom was, unfortunately, and, and it breaks my heart to say this, uh, you know, like she's one of the smartest, you know, medical people that I know been in it her whole life. But um, I don't think that at that time and, and maybe still now she fully grasped, um, you know, that there was maybe some ulterior motives or the would what I clearly saw at the time, and I think has been proven out at this time to be the severity of the situation that I was in. I spent a lot of time in, in theaters of war and, and places of combat. And I can tell you that that was, I probably was more fearful for my well-being during, for those 15 days than just about any other 15 day period in, in, in the 40 years I've been on this earth, so. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I was in a situation where for the first time, I mean, I mean, you've met me, I'm, I'm a fairly large individual, you know, about six, one, you know, over 250 pounds and, you know, had, had some sort of, you know, military and, and, and combat training. Um, so like, there's not very many situations that I've, you know, felt like, but in that situation, I was really helpless. Um, I couldn't even, I couldn't even speak, you know what I mean? Like I couldn't get my blood pressure up or even get irritated without being able to like not be able to breathe because my heart would start pumping and stuff. So without oxygen, like it doesn't matter how big you are, you are completely, you're, you know, you're too completely lives, you know. under the, the medical tyranny. 
You really are. Well, I was helpless to defend myself. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if they wanted to come inject me with something, you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't, it'd be, you know, a hundred pound nurse could have helped me. Um, you know what I mean? And, and given it to me because after a few seconds, I would be so out of breath. I would just be gasping for air. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm really trying to like walk this line and like the whole time I'm just getting like internally, like, I don't like being bullied at all. I don't like anybody being bullied. But I definitely don't appreciate somebody like taking advantage of it. See, that's what I felt like was happening. Like, like you had an agenda, whether it was malice to bring harm to me or whether it was just uh, corruption because there was extra funding going to the hospitals when they were going down these protocols. Like, I know a lot of money went, you know, for each remdesivir treatment. Um, I mean, for an example, they woke me up every hour to do my vitals while I was in the ICU. I mean, meanwhile, I mean, I've got machines on me. They know what my O2 levels are. They know what my heart rate is, right? My pulse. Uh, but they're going to wake me up to take my temperature and put the cuffs on me and stuff because every single treatment while I'm in there, while they're calling me COVID, has got like a multiplier of, and it's just free federal money that's going to these hospitals. So why would they take my vitals 24 times in a day? You know what I mean? Like that, that goes against rational protocol too. I mean, when, when you think about it, uh-huh. I mean, sleep is so important to yeah. When you heal, getting better, to see healing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So during the day, like I'm just like I'm ready to explode. You know what I mean? Because I know that there's 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 ulterior motives. It's not my my well being or my best interests as their primary concern at a minimum. And then I can't even sleep at night because I got you know some nursing assistant that was told to go in there and take my vitals like every hour you know like i'm like you got to be kidding me right now um and then i've got you know and then i got into you know these you know this 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 doctor trifecta um you know basically saying if you if you keep refusing our treatments our covid treatments like uh you know one could deem you to be you know aggressive and 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 we're going to have to calm you down to keep your blood pressure down and and we'll just do what we want with you then. You know what I mean? Um, like, you know, so that, that had me walking this line where like, I'm, you know, I'm need to stand up for myself and I need to protect myself and, and get out of there and get back to my family and uh, not put myself in a position where they can, and they can remove my ability to do that. Right. You know, through malice yeah, means. Yeah, because, because at some point, you know, it crosses into medical kidnapping and uh that's well, that's a very scary place to be that's that's where I, I that's that's where i found myself essentially so i was telling them at a certain point like i realized that like uh this is they're not gonna let me out of here they're not gonna they're not gonna they're, they have no interest in weaning me down off this oxygen you know i begged them to just put me on the wall oxygen with a regular mask and let's see where it's at or whatever they would refuse to do it. i said i just want one set of tubing just from this picket right here with a little ball that floats there. It's very clear, just right to a mass right here and, and see and see how it goes from there. They wouldn't do it. Um, I got the D-dimer levels down to where they said that I had to be below this. I don't remember exactly what the marker was, but they said you need to have your D-dimer below this number and you need to have your oxygen down to here. From my calculations, I was probably at least that uh, close to that on the high flow machine they had on, they were refusing. So I said, well, I'm, I, I want out. I want to AMA myself out of here. Um, I need you to write me a prescription for oxygen, like uh, portable oxygen bottles and a home, a home system and, uh, you know, some cortical steroids and you know, to, you know, for to bring down the inflammation and help drive my lungs until I can get in with my 
primary care outside of here. And um, I was, I was directly told by the general physician that she was not legally obligated to write me any prescriptions, including ones that were required for me to live. If I wanted to, if I want, if I wanted out of the hospital, they couldn't not be for me myself out, but they had no obligation to write me a prescription for anything, knowing that I wouldn't even make it down to my car before I passed out. You know what I mean? Even being wheeled in a wheelchair with no oxygen at that point. So I'm like, that's not true. That's, that's, that's when I made the Hippocratic oath statement was during that argument. Um, and, and that set it off. Uh, so yeah, so she, she directly told me that. And at that point I was just like, I'm, I'm in prison. I'm, 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 I'm being held against my will in, in, in medical, in medical prison, essentially. Um, so what I did was I called my attorney. I had my phone, my cell phone. I, I called my attorney and I talked to him and he was actually out of town. He was down in Florida and he had had shoulder surgery and was on pain medicine. Um, but he did give me some legal advice, but he couldn't help me with any sort of, uh, document. So I, I asked the nurses for, uh, some paper essentially. Uh, so they brought me a, a legal notepad, a yellow notepad and a pen. And I spent the next, uh, all night, basically I woke up at about two in the morning. That's when I requested the, the paper was at two in the morning. And I spent that night. And the next day, um, reading the entire Alabama medical code book, <laughs> everything that was related to inpatient, inpatient. Um, yeah. So all of the, uh, healthcare acts that were current, um, that had been passed by our legislator here. And yeah, so the current medical code, uh, that as it related to treatment of patients in an in-care facility. So whether that's like elderly, like in a nursing home or patients in a public hospital. And uh, I, I wrote out, I, I served the hospital with notice of all of, the, all of the medical code violations, all the laws that they were violating of mine, my rights as per Alabama uh, health code. And, and, and basically put them on notice that if you do not come into compliance with these, like immediately, then uh, like I'm going to, I'm going to pursue further legal action on the hospital. And so I, I wrote this out by hand. I took a picture of it. I sent it to my attorney to read. Um, and he said, that's very impressive. Uh, and uh, he, he sent a process or he sent a notary public to the hospital. So I get one visitor a day. So that, that day, I went visitor instead of my wife was a notary public that came up um, and uh, notarized uh, this, this, this letter that I wrote. And um, then there was a process server downstairs because I only got one visitor. So I asked the notary public to take this letter down. And there was a woman standing at the, uh, at the reception desk or outside there. Um, um, and her name, I think it was, I think it was Amanda. Um, and to please give that letter to her. Um, she did that. Uh, it also happened to be uh, Mo Brooks's niece <laughs> who was serving this, uh, yeah, serving the, uh, serving the paperwork for me. Um, so she drove all the way up from, uh, or down from New Hope, which is 
probably about a 40, 40 minute drive, 45 minute drive. And she served the, she served the hospital with it and uh, had a second copy of it. I wrote it twice and had them both notarized. And so the, the admissions was served, the hospital admissions was served. And then um, the other copy went to my, uh, the GP that refused, that, that said she had no obligation to, to do that. And I'll tell you, like I said, I wanted to AMA myself out, but I'll, you know, within about 45 minutes after that, I had, I had people in suits, like every other time somebody comes in, they were like into these stupid duck masks and like mop level four, you know what I mean? They got like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it looked like, yeah, it looked like yeah. they're about to go into a nuclear reactor and take out the uranium so, cores so or something. ET, like, ET looking yeah. like, yeah, I can no, remember no. at the end of ET when they, when they've got yes. the whole thing going on and they're yeah. coming in. The, yeah. yeah. Elliot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So like, but not this time. I mean, these guys just had a regular mask on. They were in suits. It was the hospital attorneys. You know what I mean? They were in there, you know, with the, you know, with the doctor from admissions and uh, we, we don't understand what the problem is. I was like, did you read the letter? <laughs> That's what the problem is. Like, I want out of here and, and you're refusing to give the, the bare minimum necessities I need to, to stay alive. You know what I mean? Until I can get to and to get to a doctor outside of here. Um, so uh, it took, I, I didn't get released that day, which I was okay with because, um, uh, Lynn care, which was like the medical equipment provider, they couldn't get to my home to install the home care unit until the next morning. Um, so I was out the next morning after, after I served them with that paperwork with I, I bet that must supplemental have been oxygen. scary though, at that point, because you just, you, you probably at that it point, felt like, wow, they could come in and like, inject me with something and and shut this whole thing down and you know well, there was that part of it and then there was the other part of it you know there there are some risks of ama and yourself out you know what i mean so like i had wrecked up pretty good a pretty good insurance bill at that point right and i have i had insurance i was working for the government at the time but when you ama yourself out like if i were not to be able to sustain myself and continue to get better outside of there and was admitted back in I mean, I could be liable for there. There was, I mean, I talked with my insurance provider. It was kind of a gray area, but there was definitely a risk um, that they would not cover anything that had to do with if I went back in for like upper respiratory type of you know, reasons and needed to have some sort of expensive treatment like I did the first time. Um, but uh, at that point, I was just like, whatever, like, I, I'd rather claim bankruptcy and, and like <laughs> remortgage the house or something, you know, because I because I had to go back in there, uh, you know, than than staying here right now, because I, I, I really did feel like my my life was was at risk. Um, but it definitely was 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 eye opening for me. Oh, oh, the last part of that story. <laughs> so uh, when I'm leaving the hospital, so they were so upset that I that I did did this and AMA myself out. The, the nurse and my wife are wheeling me down to, you know, the bottom floor for where my wife's van was to, to bring me home. And they had four police officers standing at the exit, which served me with trespassing. They, they criminally trespassed me. I was like, well, you didn't do a police report, but you're here criminally trespassing me. And so like, they, they like kind of like went off and talked to each other and sent one of the officers out like back to go do, I don't know, they probably made up a police report for, for something. I don't know what the, what the incident was that I was criminally trespassed, but like, that's how, that's how upset the hospital was that I, that I served, that I AMA'd myself and, and, and did that. I was taking videos of the cars out there and I put it up on my social media. I was like, here you go, people. This is, you know, 
yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was a wild ride, but it was also, um, it was eye-opening yeah, to, yeah. to the reality of what was going on in there. I'd say so. Amazing. Well, um, I have to go pick up my son, so I'm going to have to uh, run out the door. No, absolutely. Is no, there, thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. Is there, is there any, any last uh, thing you want to throw in there? You know, I, nothing. I, I hope, I hope some people, um, I don't know what's going on now, but if you had a, a loved one, you know, that was in that system, you know, um, and has gotten out and was saying that, that that kind of stuff was happening to him, I can, I can testify that, that it absolutely was happening in some, in some places for sure. It definitely happened to me. And um, I, I, you know, draw support to anybody that's looking for kind of COVID related stuff to, uh, you know, the American frontline doctors. And I think you're working with, uh, with the yeah, medical am, organization. Uh, There's a bunch of resources yeah. out there for people. Yeah. I'm working with the, the wellness company, very trusted. Uh, we've got, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough is our chief medical officer. And I, I highly recommend people, uh, g- going and checking out the wellness company. And I'll have a link down below in the, in the description uh, to take you there through my affiliate link and check them out. It's, uh, it's really amazing. Well, thank you, Brian. Yeah, you sent me the link. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for thank having you. me. Bro. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. You too. We all bleed the same red blood of patriots. Make honey great again. I guess we feel like we're servants and we have a product out there that's really cool. And we're, we're raising a lot, a lot, a lot of money for, uh, for different groups like yourself. Grown and bottled in America. It looks just like President Trump. Where can people order this honey? It's a very easy site. It's called makehoneygreatagain.com. Sales code MEL. Off it goes within 24 hours, it's shipped to you. Make America great again.